Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. about dropping my kids off at school and right after dropping them off at school a couple weeks ago I pulled up to a stoplight was just singing along with the Christmas songs that were on the radio and I look over at the lady next to me she's singing the exact same song the exact same part of the song that I am and I just got thinking and laughing about that thinking what other time of the year does that happen I mean when do you go around and I bet if you love Christmas music then you've probably been shopping or been somewhere singing along with a song. And if you pay attention, there's probably people around you singing it as well. Christmas is a unique time. One of the things that makes it so unique is how many people love Christmas music. Um, How many people enjoy Christmas songs. Um, And, you know, truly, it's probably one of the only times of the year when non-Christian people uh, sing Christian music. You know, I, I mean, I've been listening to 93.9, which is not a Christian radio station at all. It's basically right now they just play a lot of Christmas music. And I was telling Melissa, I said, Melissa, do you realize how many, like, Christian Christmas songs they play on this radio station? I said, I bet you every four or five songs there's one. She said, get out. No way. So now what I've been doing is every time I get in the car, you know, I, I notice one. I'll try to count it. It is amazing how often they'll sing a song like Joy to the World, Silent Night, Oh Come All You Faithful, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. How many... Of your, you think of like the the biggest name secular musicians now. They all recorded a Christmas album, and almost all of them record songs like "Oh Holy Night" in there. It's it's fascinating to me. So the problem is that uh, most people sing those songs, but the problem is that most people that sing them don't really believe what they're singing. They're not really um, connecting with the song from the heart. Most people probably view those as either a a cute tradition um, of the church or something that makes them think of their childhood, Uh, but most probably don't believe the songs about Jesus. They believe maybe that Jesus was born in a manger. It's a story that makes them feel nostalgic and warm and fuzzy, but it's not something that is the core part of their life. You know, I've been thinking, um, have you ever wondered why um, you know, some of the most famous secular musicians or why even radio stations like 93.9 or why um, uh, record companies will, um, they, it seems like they, they embrace full-heartedly Christmas music. Um, but it's not the same when it comes to music about other parts of Jesus' life. You know, I, I joked last week how that uh, on Good Friday or Easter Sunday, when I pull up to a stoplight and look over at my neighbor next to me, we're probably not going to be singing the exact same song. Uh, how many of your favorite musicians, uh, Mariah Carey or Taylor Swift or whoever it is that's your, your favorite, how many of them record uh, albums around Easter that have to do with the cross of Jesus or the resurrection? It just doesn't happen. Now, why is that? I think there's a number of reasons why, but one of the reasons why is because there's something that's non-threatening about an innocent baby 
lying in a manger. There's something about that, that that everyone feels that they can embrace. But when you start talking about death because of sin, when you start talking about someone hanging on an old rugged cross in an empty tomb, those things uh, don't have the same type of draw to the world. So, But really the reason is, is because you and I as believers know that Christmas is about more than a baby. Christmas is about far more than just one that was born in a manger. There's much more to the story of Christ than that. So if you have a Bible and you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read John chapter 1. We like to stand when we read the Bible at Living Hope because we believe that when we hold a copy of God's Word, that we're actually holding the very words of God. And when we read the Bible, we're reading and hearing the voice of God. So beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God is saying to us, in the beginning was the Word. That's talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Skip down to verse 10. He was in the world, talking about Jesus, the one who made the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Those who believe on his name, verse 13 tells us, which were born, those people are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So those who believe on his name are born of God, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, speaking of John the Baptist, verse 15, John bear witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Look at verse 29. This is describing a time when Jesus was about 30 years old and before he had publicly come on the scene. This is the introduction to his earthly ministry. Verse 29. The next day, John, which is John the Baptist, not the one who wrote this gospel, but John the Baptist, the next day, John, Seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So last week, we talked about how that Christmas is about more than a baby. We're learning that Jesus is the Lord. That verse 1 tells us that he is God, who is in the beginning, eternal. He was with the Father. He is God. That he's the creator of all things. But today I want us to look at this fact that Jesus is more than a baby. He is the Lamb of God. And what it means for us, especially at this time of Christmas, to understand that Jesus is more than a baby, he's actually 
the Lamb of God. And we're going to look at four truths revealed in Scripture about Jesus being the Lamb of God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you've given us this word to read, to hear today. And I pray that you would speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that you've not only given us the written word, but according to what we just read, you sent your Son, who is the living word, into the world to dwell among us, that that, that people could see his glory, could hear his voice, could observe his miracles, and most of all, could come to understand, as John the Baptist tells us, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, we know that that Christmas is about more than a baby. It's about more than a manger. So we pray today that you would teach us and help us to come to understand what it means that Christmas is about the Lamb of God that you sent into the world to take away our sin. And not only our sin, the sins of the world. Thank you for speaking to us today. We're praying it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What does Scripture say about Jesus being the Lamb of God? I want to give you four things today. Number one, Jesus, as the Lamb of God, is the fulfillment of God's promise. What do we mean by that? Jesus, as the Lamb of God, is the fulfillment of uh, of God's promise. There's a really interesting uh, passage of Scripture in, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham, one of the most well-known, compelling stories in the Old Testament. God commands Abraham to take his only son and to carry him up a mountain and to sacrifice, to kill as an offering his son. Now think about that for just a moment. God has asked Abraham to take his only son and offer him as a sacrifice on a mountain. Abraham was a man of obedience and of deep trust in God. And so what he did was he gathered his son and all that was necessary for this offering, and they together started to make their way up the mountain. Abraham prepares for the sacrifice, and his son Isaac, we don't know how old Isaac is, I'm guessing he may be 10, 12 years old, and Isaac asks his son, his father a profound question. He says to his father, um, I see the, the wood and uh, the, 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 um, the altar, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham responded in Genesis 22:8, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now, you probably know the rest of the story. God had no intentions of ever having Abraham kill his son. In fact, you'll never find anywhere in the Bible where God actually had someone offer their child as a, as a sacrifice. Because you see, what happened was, is before Abraham took the knife down to slay his son, God showed him that there was a ram that had been caught in a fence nearby. And God said to Abraham, I want you to take that ram in place of your son, and I want you to offer that ram as a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. And the reason that God did this 
is because there was a far greater truth that God wanted to reveal. This story served a much greater purpose than that. It wasn't to scare Abraham. It wasn't even to to see how great Abraham's faith was, although that was certainly a part of it. But this story served the greater purpose of showing a picture how that God would provide himself a lamb. That God was sending into the world a substitute to take the place of men and women who he created all around the world. That God was sending his lamb as a sacrifice. And so Jesus is that lamb. When Abraham said way back at the beginning of the Bible, God will provide himself a lamb. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And when you read your Bible and you read the Old Testament, you're going to find page after page that people in Israel were bringing lambs and they were bringing them into the temple or into the tabernacle for those lambs to be offered. All of that, every single one of them were pointing to another lamb, the lamb of God who would come into the world to take away our sin. So Christmas is about more than a baby. Christmas is about a lamb, not just any lamb. It's about the lamb of God. Jesus is God's lamb. He is God's fulfillment to a promise that was made in Genesis 22, 8. He is the one that God provided, the one sent by the father as a promise fulfilled. And what I love about Genesis 22 is when Abraham hears God's voice saying, you don't have to kill your son as an offering. Take the ram in his place and offer him. Do you know what Abraham did? He did what God said, but when he had finished with that, it says in Genesis 22, 14, that Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. He called it the name Jehovah Jireh. So Christmas reminds us when we have, that, that we have a God who provides, a God who keeps his promises. That's what we know when we hear this word that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So not only is Jesus as the Lamb of God the fulfillment of God's promise, number two, Jesus as the Lamb of God is the perfect substitute for sinners. And I really want you to focus in on this word perfect. That as God's Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus is the perfect, sinless substitute for you and for me. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it's on the screen. Notice what it says. The Apostle Peter says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain or empty conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You know what that means? It means that our sins are not forgiven based upon gold or silver. You know, you could give millions of dollars to a church and it will not forgive one sin that you've committed. Neither will forgive any sins that I've committed. In fact, people have done that. People give, give incredible amounts of money to charities and religious organizations and churches and thank God for those who do give so that places like this and others can do ministry and work. But none of those things bring redemption and forgiveness and salvation. But notice what does bring. It says at the last part of it, verse 19, but we're redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, notice, as of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is talking about Jesus. 
Jesus is referred to here as the Lamb of God who is without blemish or spot. He has no spot, no blemish. Now, now what does that mean? Well, I mentioned to you in the Old Testament, filled with the sacrifices of lambs. But there was a very strict criteria that God established for anyone who wanted to offer a lamb as a sacrifice to him. You know, they couldn't just pick the worst of the flock. By the way, that's what our human nature is, right? My, my wife's mother had, had a really, I think, simple but, but, but great practice that she had for them when they were growing up. She was teaching them to tithe, so they got $10. She would teach them, you know, you give a dollar of that to the Lord. And she would, when they were going through and she, she was teaching that, she'd have them go through, say they had 10 $1 bills. She'd have them go through and pick the, the most crisp, new, freshest dollar of the whole stack. As, as, as a way to help teach and reinforce the truth that you give to God your best. Because our natural inclination is give to God uh, our, our worst. You know, <laughs> uh, I was thinking about, I was walking out in the snow today. You know, on most days, if you've got to go to the gym, if you've got to go to work, if you've got to go to the store and it's snowing, you just do it, right? But for something that happens in us, when we see snow or rain, we're like, well, it's church. You know, I can sleep in a little bit. It's just another way, right? That we give to God our worst. You wouldn't dream of skipping out on the gym if you're regular at that. You wouldn't skip of go, you know. You wouldn't dream of skipping work just because there's a little bit of a bad weather. But but we're we're prone to give God our worst, the leftovers. But but God established to say, no no no. You find one in your flock, a lamb that has no blemish, no spot, the the best of the flock. You know, in Exodus chapter 12, God instituted what's known as the Passover. And the Passover uh, was, was something God instituted where every family was to sacrifice a lamb. And they were to take a lamb that was one year old, a lamb that had no blemish, no spots on it, the best that they had. And they were to kill that lamb, take the blood of that lamb, and, and paint the blood of that lamb over the posts of their door. Now, I'm not going to get into exactly why God uh, did that. But, but, but the reason they had to offer a spotless lamb without blemish is because God was painting a picture of his lamb, the lamb of God that, that would come into the world. It was a picture of Jesus, Jesus who is spotless, Jesus who is without blemish in his character, in his integrity, in his mind, in his actions, in his deeds. It was a picture of a sinless, morally blemishless lamb that would come into the world. And that's exactly who Jesus was, that when you and I observe the life of Jesus through the Bible, and those who actually got to watch his life on earth, they observed someone, the only one, the first person and the last person to ever walk on the earth who lived a perfect, entirely righteous life. Now, all of us in this room have something in common. We are all sinners. All of us have something in common. It's that our souls and our hearts have been blemished by sin. But our lives are spotted with, with, with evil, with, with wickedness. But what God has done is he's provided a lamb to take our place, a, a substitute, a perfect substitute that God has provided for us. Jesus, the lamb of God, has no blemish, no spot. And it's through his precious blood offered that redeems and brings to us forgiveness the baby laying in the manger would grow to be an infant then he would grow to be a toddler then a child then a teenager then a young adult 
a full-grown man. Think about that. Jesus the baby. Jesus the infant. Jesus the toddler. Jesus the teenager. Jesus the young adult. Jesus the fully grown man. And not one time did he ever sin. Never did he lie. Did a lustful thought come to his mind? Did he steal? Never did he act selfishly. Never did he neglect his responsibility. Never did he sinfully lose his temper in anger. He lived the life that I have failed to live. He lived the life that you have failed to live. He was God's perfect substitute for sinners. And that is good news. Because if you recognize that you're a sinner, then it will be music to your ears as it is to mine when we learn that God has provided a perfect substitute for us, the Lamb of God. Perfect in his deity, perfect in his humanity, was made the substitute for sinners. So not only is Jesus as the Lamb of God the fulfillment of God's promise and the perfect substitute for sinners. Number three, Jesus as the Lamb of God is the sacrificial offering to take away sin. He's the sacrificial offering to take away sin. Now, more than anything else, this title or name, Lamb of God, that Jesus is called the Lamb of God, more than anything else, everyone who heard that name from, by John the Baptist, when he said in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God, what everyone would know immediately from that is that that title represented sacrificial death. That's what lambs did. In the, the Old Testament and in, 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 in the nation of Israel, that is what God established, that lambs would be offered as a substitute for sin. And so when John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God, that represented the sacrificial death that Jesus would die, that his life and his blood would be offered on the cross to take away the sin of the world. Hold your finger or put your bulletin in John chapter 1. We're going to come back to there. But I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53 in the, in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53. What did John the Baptist mean when he said that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Isaiah 53 tells us. I wish we had time to read every verse of this chapter, but we don't. Look with me at verse 3. The word of the Lord says in verse 3 of Isaiah 53, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at verse 7, very key verse here. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. 
He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Look at verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's what John the Baptist had in mind when he called Jesus the Lamb of God. This one who would be wounded. This one who would be afflicted. This one that God would lay the sin of the world on, on the cross. He on the cross would give his life, shed his blood as God's sacrificial offering for sinners. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. When I think about that, I think about Jesus being led, carrying his cross. He's being led as a slaughter. It says he's, he, he, he's quiet like a, a sheep is before the one that's about to, to kill him and to slaughter him. And the idea is that, that Jesus was standing before Pilate, the one who is about to take his life, and Jesus is silent before him. This is a picture of Jesus, the sacrificial offering for all of us. You know, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus is called our Passover, our Passover lamb, the one that was sacrificed for us. In Luke 2, 11, what we read earlier, the Bible tells us that for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That's what John the Baptist meant when he meant the Lamb of God, that there'd be a Savior. And Matthew 1.21 tells us that we are to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Well, how would he save them from their sins? He would save them from their sins by his sacrificial death on the cross. Hebrews 9.22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. That, that God had established that, that sin brings judgment, and without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness and remission of sin. And I love what Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, it's on the screen, look at this carefully. It's spoken of about Jesus. It says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book is written of me to do thy will, O God. You know what this means? What this means is Jesus is saying, you have sent me into the world not to be like every other person who walks into the temple and who offers a sacrifice or an offering to you in the temple, but you have sent me into the world in a human body to sacrifice myself, to do your will by offering my life. In other words, what he's saying is all these other lambs have been pointing to me. I'm the real lamb, the lamb of God. You know, in Matthew 2, the wise men, the, the magi, were, were brought to, they brought to the infant Jesus gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And many Bible teachers have seen in those three gifts a kind of a symbolic representation of what Jesus' life and the nature of his person. You know, that myrrh pointed and represented the sacrifice that he would make in his death. And no doubt this is what the author of the hymn, We Three Kings, meant when, when was penned the words, Glorious now, behold him arise, King and God 
and sacrifice. That was the words to one of the verses in We Three Kings, the song, that Jesus is king and God and sacrifice. And I think those gifts that were given to him represented those things. Last week, I mentioned the, the Christmas hymn, Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. I talked to you about how the author, Emily Elliott, um, wrote that song as a, a song for children. And I think she certainly understood that Christmas was about more than a baby because in that Christmas hymn, in one of the verses, she wrote these words, Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word that should set thy people free, but with mocking scorn and with crown of thorn they bore thee to Calvary. O come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. You know, what began in a wooden manger would culminate on a wooden cross. What began in a wooden manger would culminate on a wooden cross. Because Christmas is about more than a baby. It's about the Lamb of God who came to die that he might take away the sins of the world. When I was a kid, I was asked to be in a Christmas play at my church. I was pretty young. And um, the name, I don't, I remember, in fact, I was trying to think back of some of those things. I could remember quite a bit about the play. But I remember this about the play. The play was called Born to Die. And the whole play was about this very truth, that Christmas is about more than just the birth of Jesus. And I, I read earlier today a man say that, that Jesus didn't come into the world um, to create a holiday, that Jesus came into the world to die for sinners. That Christmas, you and I, as the people of God, must recognize that. And I am a kid at heart, and I enjoy the festive things about Christmas. And, and we're giving presents, and we've got a Christmas tree at the house, and we love all of that stuff. But you and I can't be like the world that thinks that it's just about a holiday that makes us feel warm and fuzzy that we enjoy and we get gifts. It's about far more than that. That Christmas, we must keep in mind, is about a baby that would grow up to be a man who would die in agony and blood on a cross because our sin is that bad. Our guilt is that overwhelming. He came to die. He was born to die. He came to die for you and for me as the offering, as the offering to God to pay for our sins, to save us from our guilt. And we can't leave the baby in the manger as the world does. By the way, that's why they don't record songs about his cross and his resurrection. They're happy to record Oh Holy Night, but they're not going to be recording other songs. Why? Because they leave the baby in the manger. And we can't do that because we know the baby didn't stay in the manger, that the baby would later go to a cross. But we must also not leave him on the cross. And that leads me to my final point about Jesus being the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God as the fulfillment of God's promise. God himself will provide a lamb. Jesus is the perfect substitute for sinners, a lamb without blemish or spot. And Jesus is the sacrificial offering who paid to take away our sins when he died. Last of all, Jesus, as the lamb of God, is the conqueror who reigns on his throne forever. Jesus, as the lamb of God, is the conqueror who reigns on his throne forever. You know, the word lamb is used 27 times in one book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. The word lamb is used 27 
time. In Revelation 5, I think these are on the screen. In Revelation 5, the angels and saints are declaring with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. In Revelation 12, we read about those who overcome the devil, and it says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 17, we read about those who are making war with the Lamb, and it says the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And them that are with him or on his side are called and chosen and faithful. In the last chapter of the Bible, we read about the throne of God and of the Lamb in Revelation 22, 1. And this speaks to Jesus as the Lamb of God who will reign as conqueror on his throne. He reigns over sin. He reigns over evil. He is triumphant in victory. You see, the story doesn't end in the manger. The story doesn't end at Calvary on the cross. The story doesn't end at Joseph's borrowed tomb, that empty tomb in Jerusalem. The story ends with the Lamb glorified on His throne. The story ends with the risen Lamb of God who's seated on the throne in glory and in power being worshipped. You see, Christmas is about more than a baby. It's about one who was born through a miraculous birth. It's about one who lived a, a perfect, sinless life. It's about one who died a substitutionary death on a Roman cross. It's about one that was raised again from the dead. And it's about one who right now is seated in glory and in power, being worshipped and praised forevermore. That's what Christmas is really all about. And the manger was just a prelude. The manger was just the announcement. The manger was just the beginning. And God didn't give us this wonderful birth of Jesus for us just to have a holiday where we remember his birth and neglect and forget the rest of his purpose for coming. I'm finished. I'm, I'm closing with these thoughts here. But there's a, a man who used to pastor in Chicago. And he said that in one sense, the message of the Bible can be summed up in this title, the Lamb of God. Because the question in the Old Testament in Genesis 22-7 is, where is the Lamb? And in the four Gospels, the emphasis is, behold, the Lamb of God. He's here, the Lamb of God. And then after you've trusted Him, you go and sing with the heavenly choir in Revelation 5-12, worthy is the Lamb. So this title that Jesus has, Lamb of God, really helps us to understand what the whole Bible is all about, what it really means. Jesus, as the Lamb of God, He's the fulfillment of God's promise. He's the perfect substitute for sinners. He's the sacrificial offering to take away sin, and He's the conqueror reigning on His throne forever. Here's my question for you and I. Has this Lamb taken away your sin? So John said, Behold the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Has this lamb taken away your sin? It didn't really even dawn on me till I was almost finished with my message this week when I realized that Revelation 21 talks about to every person who's going to spend eternity with God in heaven, their names are written in a book. And that book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. They're written in the Lamb's Book of Life because the Lamb has taken away their sin? Has the Lamb taken away your sin? Is your name written in that book? 
it can be because John 1, we just read it earlier today, but John 1, 10 through 12 tells us that he was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew, his, knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.